okay, I just need a couple minutes. I'm sleepier than I thought I would be. I'm just sipping a little more coffee. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sasha Chambers, fucker. <laughs> Hello. It's, it's like fucking, I've been, it's now, I've been up since 5.40 in the morning for this. You can cut me some slack. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sasha Chambers, and this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Amy Rivers reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced and inspired and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Amy and I don't have any real cred as critics, but we do have a genuine love of movies as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 26 years. And counting because today is the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational episode of Eating After Midnight Show right now. Yeah. Because it's my birthday. Happy birthday month, Sasha. It's my birthday month where we celebrate the gift of me unto this world. <laughs> Thank you for being here for it. And so for <laughs> it, we are going to be reviewing my most favorite movies. The Muppet movies. The happiest movies ever from my most favorite artist, Jim Henson. It's also... um. 6.30 in the morning here in Los Angeles. We're recording this very, very early. So I'm a little, I'm a little loopy. So it's a good time to talk about Muppets. Let's and on the flip go. side, it's like four o'clock or two o'clock in Abergavenny. So I'm feeling really good, everyone. I might be more um, lucid. I might not mess up as many words. It will be a strange experience, definitely. We're flipping the script. We're flipping, we're flipping the script. The script. <laughs> So look, I'm very excited that we're doing this, especially since uh, we have now started on our path of John Hughes movies after having dipped our toes in the toxic waters of John Hughes. We're just going to take a little swim over to the nice calming influence of the lily pad and chill out with Kermit and Jim Henson and yeah. do all things opposite to the world, to the 80s and human behavior as we know it. Here in Jim Henson's world where everything is sweet and wonderful and honest and pure. I couldn't be happier to be here. And intelligent, kind, meaningful, and just finally, not that we haven't watched great movies. We have watched some great movies, uh, some perfect movies actually from, you know, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, Coming to America. We've been very happy with some of the films that we've watched. But this movie is probably the first time that I was like, damn straight, this influenced me in so many positive ways that I had forgotten about. Awesome. Like it was definitely a moment of a reawakening of all these beautiful things that I do have in my life that now I can trace back to possibly when I was a year and old, because this came out in 1979. In fact, um, it did. Yeah. Of, of all the movies that we're going to watch and review, 
I can easily say that this is the one that influenced me the most. It's one that I think I watch a couple times a year, to be honest. Like it's all things Jim Henson and all things Muppet is look, I know I lot I make like a lot of like really dirty jokes about at least one male character in every single film that we watch, but don't get it twisted, y'all. Your girl is actually wholesome as fuck. And this is my speed. This is my shit. This is my jam. This is the zone in which I wish to live. Like we've also talked about how Amy loves horror films and I do not. I don't know if we've said this on the podcast before, but the reason I don't love horror films is because I have a very active, overactive imagination and I only have so much room in my brain and things I see go in and then they stay there forever. So if I'm going to make room in my brain, in my psyche, in my soul, I want it to be for beauty and I want it to be for things that make my soul feel happy and more connected to my fellow man. And y'all hostel just doesn't do it for me. So <laughs> I can watch the Muppet movie any time of day, anywhere I will stop, drop and Muppet. And <laughs> on a day that's just, like, it's my happy place. Like I also own every single episode of the Muppet show ever made. That was, that was a, a good gift from a bad boyfriend. I'm really happy. I still have it. And <laughs> <laughs> like the day of the election, that's all I did was watch the Muppet Show. Well, can I say, you know, that's where I know, go. Can I say to, to everyone listening to this podcast, before we, you know, you can continue listening to us uh, talk about this film or feel free to pause this, go, you know, rent the Muppet movie on Amazon, purchase it the way I did, the best 10 pounds I've spent in a long while and let the joy and happiness just wash over you because I have to say we live in cynical sad depressed hard painful times and it is the world's a fucked up place you are um the gen xers who who I believe our audience are you know we've feel pretty battered right now, you know, from President Trump to the coronavirus to the terrible things happening in so many places in the world. To the crushing um, weight of impending middle age. Exactly. Like people are hungry and hopeless and it's just terrible. Do yourself a favor. You can't in change fact, those things tomorrow, right now, but you can go buy the Muppet movie. You can watch it. And you can just feel all the feels. Yeah. In you know, fact, okay. it's it's my birthday for my birthday. Please pause this podcast and watch the Muppet movie if you haven't seen it recently. Yes. Please. Yes, because I haven't watched it. I'm, I'm not a huge Jim Henson fan, though. I like Jim Henson. That has changed this week after watching the Muppet movie again. I remember watching the Muppets. I love them. They were great. I do uh, sing the rainbow connection to my son. Um, of course you every do. day. Of course almost you do. We're going to start with one of my only, it's not a beef with the film. It's a beef with life. So I know you love, we don't need another hero. And that's a great track. <laughs> it really is the greatest soundtrack song from any movie ever from all times is the rainbow connection. <laughs> it is the rainbow connection. It is the best song ever. And, and if you can believe it was nominated for an Oscar 
and lost to some sad ass track from Norma Ray. Do you sing what? that song from Norma Ray to your son every night? <laughs> no, you do not. Only further evidence of how the Academy is hot ass fucking garbage and never does the right thing. Waka, waka, waka. That was a, that was a little um, that was a little nod joke to our boys over at uh, at Worst Scene, which also I'm going to go ahead and do this now for my birthday. Before we get into this, I want to shout out our very favoritist podcast. And that is Worst Scene with our boys. Joy, I shouldn't call them boys. They are grown ass men. They're grown ass good men. They're grown ass really good men, really good solid men who do a solid, awesome podcast called Worst Scene slash Best Scene. And you can find it wherever your podcasts are found. And it is hilarious. Please, Worst Scene. Go check it out is, for my birthday. This, yeah. This is very Sasha asking for lots of gifts for her birthday. That's uh, not true. It, it is very That's true. False. And I love I love it about you. You know, That's so false. so right now you've got two things to do for Sasha, and you best do it because it's her birthday. You gotta watch the Muppet movie. You gotta go listen to We're Seen. These are the two things you can do for Sasha. Think about Bree, Sasha. There's, an, there's another one. There's another Let's, one called Ad Wizards. It, I, Ad Wizards oh, that we okay. recently discovered, and it's an awesome podcast too. But see, it's not, it's it's a gift for me, but it's it's a gift for the world. I'm sharing art like Jim Henson. I'm sharing good Damn. feelings. Straight. Go Damn. listen to Straight. other shows that will make you feel very happy as well. Yeah, maybe kind of our, our last thing before we get into the soup about this movie. I, I do remember seeing this. There's been some pieces that like filtered into my brain. But again, I must've been very young when I watched this one. And our second one uh, film that we're gonna do, Muppets Take Manhattan, that was really my jam that I watched all the time that I fucking love. So I can't wait till we watch that later this month. But the last thing I'll say before we get into the soup for my part is one of the most wonderful things that has happened is that I got to watch this not only again for myself, but I got to watch it with my son who is about, you know, a year and a half old. And I need to report to everyone, yes, he's watched some other things that's got really sophisticated animation, lottie, lottie, lottie. But when he saw Kermit the Frog singing The Rainbow Connection at the beginning, his eyes filled up with wonder. It was so moving and touching. And it, it made me think of an article that a friend of mine, I'll shout out to him, his name's Eric Story. He wrote an article about how when he had his sons, he was really excited to find out what would be the things that he that the, his sons would connect with in their childhoods that would help define their, their characters. He was really excited to learn that about them. But he was also excited about sharing what he loved with them and seeing if like they could find the you know common ground in it. It was a beautiful article. And that's what I felt. I was like, it was this great generational connection. And if this movie shapes my son, I will be pleased. I will be very happy because there's so much goodness in this movie. Um, and that's where I'm gonna end my kind of rant, beginning rant. Well, that's my godson. Just keep playing it all the time. Just play he it all the time. He wanted to watch it right it afterwards. Will... Yeah, of course he did, because it's a perfect film. Why this film and why all Jim Henson work is so important, it's its impact, right? There's the fact that it's, it's cross-generational. It's family entertainment. 
And I don't mean that in the like, it's, it's fucking Hallmark and it's accessible, right? It is cross-generational in that it is pure enough to touch the heart of a child, nuanced enough to entertain a college-age student, and poignant enough to reach the jaded soul of an adult. Jim Henson's work seeks to not just speak to, but actually affect our capacity for love, for appreciation of beauty, our our, um, capacity for empathy, generosity, and faith. And he's actually- Chasing your dreams. Chasing your dreams, being true to yourself, loving yourself, loving your neighbor. And in, 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 in a way that he's actually trying to, as I said, affect our capacity for this. He's, he's not playing at it. He's not talking about it. He's actually engaging with people of all ages, meeting them where they are in order to communicate this to them. And that's next level shit. Someone tried to bring the Simpsons up to me as, as a you know, family kind of cross-generational entertainment. And I was like, yeah, but that's not not, not comparative, but that, that exists for us today. Right. Um, And I was like, yes, but that comes from a space of irony and sarcasm. Whereas this is truly coming from one man's space of pure love and desire to see the world be a better place. And so for that, we are so lucky to have been born at a time when this man was alive and these concepts were being delivered to us fresh as children. I know that, you know, every, every generation is like kids today, they don't know what's up and they don't got it going on. But I, I struggled to see what exists today that is on the level of someone like Jim Henson or Fred Rogers that is speaking this kind of truth to the soul of humanity at a time when we couldn't need it more. And I will just be forever grateful that this is what I was raised on, that this is what lives at the core of me. I've babysat kids who had never ever seen Big Bird, but had seen the entire Saw franchise. I'm afraid for the world with that. I, I, I truly am. I'm, I'm a, I, I, get, I get nervous for a world where kids are raised on Kylie Jenner's TikToks and, you know, endless bang, bang, shoot 'em up video games. I know I sound like an old fucking curmudgeon right now, but like I said, this is the magic that the world needs. This, yeah. Yeah. These, these and we're the, bringing it back. You know, the we're universal truths that, that everyone needs to be exposed to and hold up higher than anything. To riff on that a bit. I think one of the things that brings us exactly what you said, it's next level shit. God, the heart of this movie is gratitude. And which, you know, is a definitely a buzzword that all the peoples be using in, you know, their enlightened yoga studios of today. But straight up, Jim Henson was knocking on that door 1979, earlier than that, and we'll get into this later because this movie is actually, in spite of all these lessons that he gives us, all this this joy and 
and meaningfulness and finding great friends and all of these really wonderful, important lessons that he teaches at the end of it all and at the heart of it all, it really is him just saying thank you for allowing him to do this, live his dream, create these characters. Indeed, indeed. And that's and because what I don't know if a lot of people, sorry to, to step on this, but I, I don't know um, if a lot of people know this, but Jim Henson was actually a man of very, very deep faith. That is at the core. That is truly at the core of him. Not so much the the organized religion aspect of it. He, he will always have said that he was more spiritual than religious. But anyone who is religious or 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 raised in a in a truly religious household or in a in a household of deep faith knows that the the core of that truly is service right that's what it is it's about serving your fellow yeah. man and yeah. his one desire was to leave this world a better place than when he found it and he recognizes that he could only do that by us giving him the space to do it in and so that's where this 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 theme of gratitude comes in is, is thank you. Thank you, lovers and dreamers, for allowing me to have been of service to you, to have been able to do this. And also, too, something that's really, really amazing about Jim Henson before we actually like get into the into the film is where a lot of people or artists might live in, you know, uh, a space of I, I don't know if I'm good enough you know, am I good enough? Is what I'm doing good? I, I hope it's good. I hope you like me. Jim Henson never questioned that. Jim Henson was at this game from the age of like, as a kid, he started designing puppets and he had his first actual television puppet show. I believe it was at the age of 15. He was on public <laughs> access television. He knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He knew exactly what he was meant for. He knew exactly what his trajectory was. He was never confused about his greatness. He was only ever confused as to how it could have taken as long as it did. <laughs> I, love, I love that about him, that he had that much conviction and confidence in a dream of making the world a better place, one four-fingered puppet at a time. <laughs> okay, girl. Into the soup we go. All right, you're going to IMDb us? Yes, yes. So the Muppet movie is um, made in 1979 or, or released in 1979. It's directed by a man named James Frawley. And there are so many cameos in it. We're, we're going to have to just go through the cameos as they come up. But let's just quickly call out the five men who basically do all the Muppets. Uh, of course, we've got Jim Henson, who does Kermit the Frog, and Frank Oz, who we all know, who, who does Mix Piggy. Now, mind you, they do a lot of other ones as well. I'm just kind of telling you the main ones that they do. And we also have Jerry Nelson, and he does lots of them. Uh, Richard Hunt, and I'm going to say this name wrong. Dave Gales. Dave, Dave Gales. Thank you. Who does, um, Gonzo. he's Gonzo. So those five men are basically the Muppets, um, which I think is pretty amazing when you think about it. We've been trying to not go uh, scene by scene, but it's going to be really difficult in this film because it is so beautifully complex 
and hilarious the hijinks of this this film that it's going to be really difficult for us not to kind of hit every scene but here's the imdb description uh, I'm so happy about this. I'm not even ready to, you know, make fun of the IMDb description slash. Kermit and his newfound friends trek across America to find success in Hollywood, but a frog legs merchant is after Kermit. I mean, look, it's that works it's, for me. Whatever. It works. It works. It's solid as like a just description of of what's going on. We don't have to like. I'm not going to get mad at IMDb for not touching on the fact that it's the most magical, perfect film ever written you know they try to keep it objective and all yes <laughs> i mean could they have said that it is a you know 60s surrealist old hollywood romp buddy flick meant to touch the hearts of multi-generations meta works, sasha let's call super, it in. <laughs> super meta review they could have said that they could have said that but they didn't so that we could you know so let's get into like how this beautiful movie starts with this it's so meta you know it's important because it's it's a movie within a movie so they've got kind of yes okay the whole setup is that the muppets are going to a screening of the muppets movie so when sasha was saying super meta she won't playing this like immediately starts out. Yeah, the amount of breaking of the fourth wall and self-commentary and self-awareness in this film. It's pretty good. It's amazing. And I just I just wanted to mention the first scene for a couple of reasons. I mean, we get, because I mean, we don't really get introduced to all the characters because most of us know all these characters because the Muppet Show was on. But one thing that I noticed in this first scene was just the beautiful mayhem of it all, which is why I think like, and I, I hate to kind of beat this drum too much, so I'll try not to do it throughout the whole podcast here, but it is childhood, like having a kid and this beautiful mayhem of like popcorn is flying everywhere. Someone's like dynamite is going off. There's boomerang fish going through the air. And, and then there's all these like one-liner zingers, you know, like, uh, what is it? Fozzie's... Um, um, if this movie isn't good, if I'm not funny of it, I don't know if I can live with myself. Yeah, you have to find a new apartment. Um, <laughs> like, it's uh, just... and it starts with Waldorf and Stadler on their way in. We're here. We're here for. Uh, we're here to see. You know, the Muppet movie. Oh, that's in private screening room X. Private screening. Yeah, it's. They don't want to show it in public. You know, we're here to huckle a Muppet movie. It's like, <laughs> oh god, it's just so. It's so great. Every but single the insanity of so it. Great. Oh, the insanity of it though. It just kind of hits you. And I think that maybe be, maybe be that I think that maybe be. Did you just turn into um, Dr. Teeth? <laughs> Dr. Teeth is one of my favorites. I think that might be one of the things that, you know, children love so much about it because it, it just that beautiful mess of it all. You know, I mean, it, it was, it's really glorious if you just let yourself like go into it in that moment, it pulls you in. And of course, um, one of the things I also noticed in this very first scene is all the characters, God, they really are outcasts, aren't they? They are really like very colorful cast of weirdos. The blue flamenco dancer uh -huh. randomly like going through doing spins. Mm -hmm. And then there is Harry who is the like, is he, he's like an antisocial bomber like they've actually yeah got... harry harry is a really interesting character well i mean that's kind of jim jim henson loves explosions 
that's kind of <laughs> always been like from the time he started puppetry, all of his sketches ended with explosions. All of his uh, very, very early work, his show, uh, it's, it's too early for me. I'm spacing because it's like, I've only had half a cup of coffee, but anyway, the very <laughs> first public access show he started ended with, with explosions, all of the um, original commercials that he did. I think it was a coffee commercial. He got a, like, he bought, he got a bunch of like nice spots as a 15 year old with his puppets and they always would end with explosions. So yeah, Harry, the bombers <laughs> is a nod to his just like, how do we end this thing? Blow some shit up. Like that's, that's his thing. He never, he didn't, he didn't really swear though. That wasn't that wasn't Jim yeah. Henson's gem. And funny enough, it's really just to like because he's my favorite artist. We're going to harp on this for just a second. But like Jim Henson didn't swear. Jim Henson really was a really pure human being. And over the pandemic, I watched a uh, Zoom fundraiser with Frank Oz and Fran Brill and a whole bunch of other um, of the more modern Muppet Muppeteers and what was weird was people could write in and ask questions and all I would say 60% of the questions that kept coming in over and over again was what was Jim really like? Tell us what Jim was like when he was angry. What was Jim's favorite swear word? Is it true that Jim, Jim really didn't swear? Is it true that Jim really didn't get angry? And like they answered the question once or twice. And then finally were like, not sure what you guys are looking for. But Jim was Jim. He was a happy man who only wanted to see happiness and he never raised his voice and he didn't use dirty language. And it's it's interesting to me that in this thing that you you really would have only found out about if you were a true Muppet fan and a lover and a dreamer that even still people need to debunk the beauty of Jim Henson. They need to find the cancel, the cancel button. There's got to be something in there, right? No one could be that good. No one could be that pure. No, in fact, they could. And we, we were lucky enough to be able to be exposed to this man during his time of creation. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're all in general, you know, that's just the cynicism building up because I mean, I, I'm on my, um, you know, my spider senses are definitely on alert you know, in regards to, you know, not only people I know, but, but people in, in the, you know, artists, media, in the media, things like that, because I am worried that my favorite artists are going to turn out to have, you know, Nazis in the closet. And, um, but, you know, and there's part of me doesn't want to know. And then of course, you know, it's happened to us, you know, we, with the Michael Jacksons and the Woody Allens, I mean, it's happened to us. So we're, we're kind of, we've got that, that that uh you know nails nail biting like oh is this is this possible that it's it is pure and you know everyone the reports say that it was fine jim henson was a cool good pure man i'm sure he was human i'm sure that in spite of everything that was said he may have raised his voice once in once a while once um there's something. there's there's a story about him getting really mad at a cab driver in the uh, in the biography that I read of him that uh, that he once got really mad at a cab driver and called him a beatnik. Yeah, I love it. 
Yeah. All right, girl. So, so we'll get, we'll okay. get a move on now. So, we're, so now. Mo- yeah. So now moving right along, we've, we've passed through our meta self-awareness movie within a movie. And we come through this gorgeous sweeping scene across this little swamp. Blink a ding, a ding, a blink a ding. Blink a ding, a ding, a blink a ding. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And your heart swells 8 billion times and you are immediately pulled in to this world of Muppets. Because that was the idea, right? This was the first time that the Muppets were focused as main characters, where it wasn't Muppets interacting with humans, it was humans coexisting with Muppets and then being treated on parallel to human characters. And you're there. You're there immediately. There is this tiny little frog sitting on a log, singing his little heart out about lovers and dreamers and rainbows and the connections we can find between ourselves and our hearts and our souls and the light. And it's immediately beautiful. Where else do you yeah. want to be? What else do you have to do? Cancel your I, fucking plans. There's a frog on a log singing a song to you. With a Fuck banjo. Off. With a fucking banjo. Yeah, like I said, I sing this song to my son basically every single day. I think when, when he watched it, maybe one of the reasons he was like eyes wide open was like, oh, a frog sings this. And I think, yeah. I think that was like the recognition. However, I will mention that Willie Nelson does a really beautiful version of this song, people. So if you're looking for a cry fest, uh, you know, hook that up on your Spotify. Lots of fun. After he finishes singing, Dom DeLuise shows up, who I love Dom DeLuise. He's like somebody from the 80s that I, you know, you forget existed. And then when you see him, you're like, hello. And hello, he's fantastic. Dom. Hello, yes. With all of his old school Hollywood, like... The, the way he jump alligators and he's jumping and he's looking around and it's 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 amazing yes it's it's just great it's just great yes. and then we get the the uh he's an agent who just flew in from hollywood he's so he's so proud of himself and he lets kermit know that there's an audition for frogs happening in hollywood frogs who want to be rich and famous and and he should go he's got talent telling jokes singing songs you could make millions of people happy and kermit looks off into the distance and says millions of people happy and that's where you realize how much kermit is jim henson and at the okay. at the promise of the idea of if he left his little swamp if he less if he left his comfort and stepped outside of himself that he could affect the hearts of millions away he goes Right. This is like five minutes into the movie, people. Five minutes in the movie and Sasha and I are both tears Tears. dripping off of our chins. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm swaying. The the second the music is playing, I'm swaying. I'm singing along. I still have my original cassette tape of the Muppet movie soundtrack that I can't believe still plays because I must have rewound and replayed this song 8,000 times. I can't believe that the tape still exists, that that section of tape didn't completely shred itself (laughs) in my Casio tape player. And then we get our our first really awesome, again, old school Hollywood, nod for the the older viewers, running gag, nuanced, 
for our college age viewers. Are you lost? Maybe you should try Hare Krishna. Oh my God. Every time I hear it. So he's riding his bike. Okay. I'm going to take <laughs> off, you know, and we won't, I'm not going to dissect all of the, um, the effects of what it took for Kermit to ride the bicycle. In fact, I had to be really careful on this watch of how much research I did because at some point on one of my rewatches for about 30 seconds, I didn't hear Kermit and I didn't hear Fozzie. I heard Frank Oz and I heard Jim Henson and it was taking me out. I think it was Roger Ebert who said, you know, if you, if you really need to know how Kermit rides the bicycle, feel free to find out, but don't let me know. I'm more of a more romantic than that. I prefer to think that Kermit was doing it himself. And that's, that's really, <laughs> that's really how I feel about it. I don't need, I don't need any of the like actual effects and the magic yeah. explained my artist heart. My maker's heart wants to know because I've always had the dream. I missed my calling. If it had ever occurred to me that I could have been a Muppeteer as a child, that's what I would be doing today. But it never occurred to me that I could have pursued that, that I could have built Muppets and had that as a life. That makes me sad. But but I, I think, Sasha, instead, you just became a Muppet. I mean, I say that fair. with complete love. Oh, I say I <laughs> say it, take that as the greatest of compliments. I couldn't when, when, be happier. When I saw Muppet. you today, I know that you're you just woke up. But just to describe for everyone sitting at home or or in their cars listening to us on the on the radio, Sasha has her beautiful, crazy Afro curls in pigtails wrapped up in beautiful like like scarves of green and white blue scarves. She straight up looks like a Muppet and big cornbread smile. I'm going to have to, am I allowed to say that? Ah! Sorry. I know. Is that one of those things? Are we not allowed to say that anymore? I used to, I I have a giant smile for those of you that don't know me personally. Like when I'm real stoked, you get all gums, (laughs) all gums, 10,000 Watts. And I used to call it my cornbread smile because it it, it would come up when my grandmother would make her amazing cornbread. I would do this and ah, get so excited. That's what I call your smile. I, you know what is fine. That's not, that's not any kind of fucked up shit from the eighties. I said it. It's the truth. You're my best friend. You can say it. <laughs> okay. Other people can say it too. We're not as canceling long as they ourselves. do it in the happiness. You have to do it in happiness. Yeah. You know, think of grandma's cornbread. That's the smile I'm talking about. So Sasha has all that going on. So Sasha, you didn't become a Muppeteer, but you, you became a Muppet. So yeah, so he's riding his bike. He almost yes. gets rolled over by a steamroller, but that is because he is distracted by, we see Charles During. And I can't, I'm, I'm spacing the actor who, who played Max, setting up a facade for a restaurant, Doc Hopper's fried frog's legs, which is so dark. If you think about it, it's really dark. Like that's good for, for college age kids and, and adults to understand the, the humor in that. But for like little kids, like if you, it's good. It's it's like it's so grown that they couldn't quite clock it because if they kid could, it would be absolutely fucking horrifying. It's a horrifying thought. It's a horrifying thought. Doc Hopper you and his fried frog frog legs. But but later on, I, and we are kind of going scene by scene. But later on, it, what I found interesting is that when they kind of soften it, they soften the edges of it a bit because when he, you know, Doc Hopper um, approaches. Kermit. Kermit's issue is not that they're killing all the frogs. It's that all the frogs will be beyond on crutches. tiny crutches. Exactly. And, which I, which, which I was like, yeah. oh, okay. So at least they're like not making it 
sound to the children, to the babies in the audience, like all the frogs are dying. It is that they're just going to be <laughs> crippled. I don't know. Does that soften it? Does that make it I don't it know. Worse? I mean, I it's, know. It's, 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 it's fucking Twisto. It's fucking Twisto in the best possible way. In the it's best super, possible way. Super dark. And yeah, as I said, it was it's Charles During playing Char uh, Doc Hopper, who, for those of you who are not aware, just that's the dad in Tootsie. If you need a, a reference off the top of your head, if it's been a while since you've seen this. Now, one of the things that, um, again, I know we, we're, we're taking so much time, but I know, I know, we're, I know, great. it's hard but, not uh, to, I, this was like a, a convention in the 1970s and 1980s, this kind of like, um, hillbilly culture that was like brought to cinema uh, and he definitely plays into that, you know, like Smokey and the Bandit. Boss Hog. And, he's very and this, Boss Hog and Colonel yes. Sanders all at one time. Yeah. It's pretty, he's pretty brilliant in it. He's he's like pitch perfect in it. He's the perfect villain. Um, like he should have been an Academy Award winner for this one. Charles Durang, you missed it. The whole thing. Um, they should have just scrapped the Oscars and just celebrated the Muppets that year. I don't give a fuck <laughs> about Norma Ray or anything else, quite frankly. So okay, we've got to um, we've got to move on to the next scene. Yeah, which, which is is brilliant. Kermit strolling up on El Slizo Cafe, right? Why is there not a band named El Slizo? Indie bands, get your instruments out. Be who's not called the El Slizo? Oh my god, it's oh it's my god. great. Um, so brilliant cameo appearances galore it's this most amazing kind of riffraff dark indiana jones slash star wars cantina vibe everyone is there everyone is there all races all nationalities from like all time periods it's like it's a small <laughs> yes. world but grown up and on crack and like <laughs> <laughs> True. And they're all eating frog's legs done in different oh, styles. Fried. <laughs> and and yeah, seed, stroganoff. The, cam the cameos here, and Madeline Kahn, um, you know, RIP. I love Madeline Kahn. And then um, and Carol Telly King. And Telly Savalas. Yes, yes, yes. Carol King comes in for one line, literally, to just say yes. It's amazing. Of course, she comes back later. No, she says um, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> because it's a myth. Yeah. So someone's remarked on, on being lost and someone goes, oh, are they lost? Maybe they should try Harry Krishna. And then we get a nice break of the fourth wall and Kermit saying, oh, geez, it's a running gag. It's just, oh, they just don't make them like this anymore. They it's really, really tight. don't. And they also, really too, I don't, don't know if you noticed while Telly Savalas and Madeline Kahn are doing their thing, there's this very bizarre fight going on in the background between this French couple in berets and striped shirts. <laughs> yes. um, it's very weird. It's very, very weird. There's like a struggle. Oh, I, I don't know if he slaps her or she slaps him. It's very dramatic and uh, really and really intense. If you pay attention to the background, you're like, that's a lot. That's a it's, lot going on. It's brilliant. Um, and of course, this is um, where he meets Fozzie Bear. And you yes. know, throughout the movie, the, the whole movie is about basically how he meets all the rest of the Muppets. So this Fozzie Bear is the first one. So yeah, so yeah. Fozzie Bear, Fozzie Bear is our first up on deck, our first friend made on the road. And he's, uh, you know, he's not, as we know, Fozzie Bear is, is not the greatest comedian, but he gives it his all waka waka waka. And I just love his furry, fat fucking bear belly when he does his little dance. 
is so oh. goddamn cute. I love Fozzie so Okay, much. so here's my two things about this. Number one, how is it that they somehow, even though he's a bear and he's covered in fur, when he does take off its hat, his hat, it seems like he's bald? Like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> what? magic is it <laughs> that actually it's, a t- it's attention to detail it's it's it's, it's that, that hilarious. This is not he's not a bear he's a he's fozzy he's fozzy so and he's then a the, fully embodied character from every little fucking nubby curl on his body his little bald bear head i know how do you make a bear bald it's so good it's but so he's, good. But, but he's actually not bald like it is it's just like his his hair is like a little uh lower Oh no no! You on, read on that as head. bald. You read that you as read bald. It, but you, you read, read that as bald. Like he wears right. a hat because he's bald. My other favorite moment, of course, is is he selling jokes? They're not landing very much. But then at one point he said, "The sailor was so fat." And then of oh course, this fat sailor, you know, breaks a bottle and stands up and he goes, "How fat was he?" And Fozzie's answer is so fat and so nice that everyone liked him and nobody made fun of him at all. <laughs> <laughs> Like I know, which is like it just makes your heart palpitate 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 yes <laughs> yes palpitate we can proboscolate on how it makes us palpitate so kermit oh, being tight. kermit sees fozzy you know bombing on stage and does what kermit does he comes to the rescue and is a friend to everyone hops on stage and is like let's dance they are the cruelest audience on earth and try to like i love how there's like that slow it's slow. You just see all their hands reaching out to like grab them off the stage as though they're like coming at them quickly, but it's being done. It's like they're just standing there. They escape the El Slizo club by Fozzie telling everyone that the drinks are on the house. And so all of this, all of these riffraff run out of the club and run onto the roof. <laughs> and and you can hear the lines of, oh, there's no drinks on the house. Don't yeah, right. Like, right. Oh my God, Works every time. It's just a fucking dad joke. It's, it's so it's so great. They're moving right along. They're in the car. That's actually the song that, that they sing, moving, Not, well, moving well, right first, along. Well, first they have to encounter Doc Hopper and Max. Yes, yes. yes. Where we find out that, that Kermit, Kermit cannot be bought, and understandably so, because who would want to be a spokesperson for the mutilation and genocide of their race? <laughs> So, so no. wait a second. Re- <laughs> rewind for a second. So so Doc Hopper doesn't want to kill Kermit right. at this point. What he wants is Kermit, because he's so likable and he's a singer and a dancer and, and can tell jokes, to be his, the spokesperson for Doc Hopper's frog's legs. But of course, as Sasha said, Kermit ain't interested in selling his fellow frogs under the bus just so he can make $500 a year. Up front, um, he could be make that every year. So, <laughs> so, so hilarious. So, um, so, and this is, this is the setup of the antagonist, the main antagonist of the film and, and what the issue. And now, is. now yeah. Doc Hopper is brought to Kermit via Max and now, Max is an interesting character to me. What's your take on Max? Is Max a kid being played by an adult? Because he's got a, an interesting kind of energy about him and a, a strange delivery to his lines if he's meant to be a grown-up. There's some funny, some funny shit there with, with Max. 
when they're in the car at one point and he's like, but you promised me a reward. I'm like, but are you a grown man or are you five? Cause he's got that silly little green hat on, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's some strange. He's, he's, he's a, uh, he's the, he's the character that he's on the bad side, but he, he flip flops to the good side. He's, you he's know? struggling and conscious. And, and that's funny yeah, because there is a moment where it's, we're, we're in the eighties, but with, you know, people that came up through the sixties. And so there is that moment where where Max is like, he's right. But when when Kermit and Fozzie run into Doc Hopper at the billboard, he's like, look, it's you, Froggy. And, and he's like, I, I don't want any part of, of putting all of my fellow frog friends on crutches. And, and Max holds his head and it, it dawns on him what this actually means, that he, they would be crippling a bunch of frogs and it would be cruel and it would be awful. And he, he says to Doc Hopper after Fozzie and Kermit drive off and he's like, I've had it with that frog. We're going to catch up to him. I've done my I've done the best I can open the door. No, you open the door sir i'm not gonna have any part of this it's wrong and it's a moral objection and i stand by it right and this is where it's funny because that is our our 60s conscientious objector moment that is immediately shadowed by but we're in the 80s i'll i'll double your i'll double your cut i'll open the door (laughs) no but but max ultimately becomes good let's remember yes yes he does he does anyhow they're they are in their car they're in their Studebaker left to Fozzie by his um, now hi- hibernating uncle. And they are driving along, trying to make their way to Hollywood. And now we know that this is a, this is a buddy movie, right? It's so cute. These two singing their song. It's, it's just such a, it's such a cute little song. It's, so it's trust a lovely little song. Yeah. It, they're, they, it's adorable how they, they are endeared to each other and become such fast friends on the road. What I also love about this is Fozzie's, like if you really listen to how the the things that he's saying that are like all throwaway lines underneath everything, um, when they get into that car crash and he's just like, okay, uh, no problem, pull over Fozzie, Uh uh-huh. Just the way he's written is very, (laughs) very simple and natural. It's not over the top. There isn't a whole bunch of screaming. They pull the car over and he's like, where did you even learn how to drive? I took a correspondence course. It's just all these like super old school jokes yeah. that are so, so fantastic. I mean, that, that's what's great about the the movie, you know, nostalgia purposes. And and the one thing that that you almost want to be like, well, wait a second, because they, they do teeter on jokes that we kind of wouldn't make anymore. Like earlier in the in the El Slizo Cafe, he makes a joke about the dancing girls. You know, it's getting ugly in here. Well, you should see the dancing girls, but it's so harmless and it's done in such a way where it just makes you nostalgic for that kind of 1960s, 70s, very early 80s kind of, you know, old school jokes. It doesn't rub you the wrong way. It just makes you smile inside. However, one of the greatest scenes is coming up after they oh do get in the car accident. They end up outside of a church. An old and... abandoned church that's been taken over by this hippie band of riffraff that are going to turn it into a cafe with like really good organic snacks, man. Oh my God, your Janice is great. Janice is one of my favorites. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So it's the electric mayhem, everyone. Yes, the electric Dr. mayhem. Dr. Deep and the electric mayhem. 
Oh my God, Dr. Teeth's line, when they meet Dr. Teeth and he says, Dr. Teeth, golden teeth and golden tones, welcome to my presence. presence. Like these, the fucking electric mayhem are the yes. coolest The coolest motherfuckers that, on earth. And you know, you know, it's ever it's, existed. And I just love that Dr. Teeth is Jim Henson. As much as it, he's Kermit, he's also Dr. Teeth. And what? that's- fucking mind-blowing fucking brilliant i love the electric mayhem because again i've i've you know i've alluded to and those of you that know me well know that i grew up you know around people in the music industry so the electric mayhem made sense to me these were people that i knew and they are so fucking spot on each of those individual characters are so spot on as that band i can't even take it man and we've got Muppets talking jive, but it's totally fine. Like at least, like, I mean, is Dr. Teeth supposed to be black? I mean, he's he seems very George Clinton to me. So it works for me. Well, Muppets I mean, that's, that's, well, I mean, that's kind of, I, I don't know. No, no one's, none of the Muppets, until you get to Sesame Street. Okay, so this is important. Until you yeah. get to Sesame Street, where they are very conscious about representation, off the mm-hmm. bat, making sure that Muppets, that, that other, ch- that children see themselves reflected in Muppets. That's the beauty of the Muppets. They're fucking felt. They could be I, anything. They don't need I, to be black. They don't need to be white. They're just fucking, you see your soul reflected in those Muppets. It doesn't fucking matter if they're green. It doesn't matter if they're blue. It doesn't matter if they're an animal. If they've got four fingers, if they've got no fingers, if they've got human hands and a Muppet face, they, they're pure. They're just. I, I do have energy. to say, though, I do think that on one, I think you're you're completely right, except for one exception, which I still find hilarious, and it would be terrible, except that it's it's fucking the Swedish dude, <laughs> Eric. Oh, oh, the chef. You know and, what? And it's his, it's kind of funny to do me. Do you think I'm his sorry. name is Eric? Do you think his name is Eric? It is. It's not. It's not. It's not okay because I watched. It I know I watched it with subtitles as well, and this part What's is hilarious name? because you would think in subtitles that the Swedish chef's name is Eric because they've got animal going Eric fix Eric. it Eric fix it <laughs> Eric fix it and it's Eric with a K right so you're like obviously yeah, yeah, Eric, yeah. oh I didn't know yeah, the Swedish yeah. chef's name was Eric it's not he doesn't actually have a first name it's it's there's a there's a there's a lore that his first name is Tom but that's never been. That's never been confirmed. He's just the Swedish. What's Animal saying then? Eric, fix it. Eric, fix it. But that's because some person does the subtitles. It's a human who does it. It's not actually a Muppet. So wait, wait, just to finish that off, though, it to me, it's hilarious that the only race that's kind of made fun of is the Swedish, the Swedes, (laughs) which which they don't. I feel like they don't mind. They're like, it's okay. No one has ever made fun of us. Like, like it's pretty, pretty hardcore. If you think about it, if you put that on, like, if this was a Chinese Muppet and they did that, it would be horrific. That is true. So it's like one of those things where it's like, but yeah, it's Swedish. Like they can, they can deal with it. They've been fine. You know, it's not like, it's not like they, they've been put down through the history of time. You know what I mean? The Swedes are doing okay. So for some reason, and I don't know if that's right or wrong, everyone. All I know is like, it's right. I'm I'm, I'm giving it a right. I'm I'm giving it a right. right. Yeah. So another thing, another thing that I love though, subtle little touches, they're walking into a church what does Fozzie do? He takes his hat off. 
I love it. Okay. It's just every, they just don't, they just don't miss a beat. Waka waka, no pun intended. So this band though is so spot on. You got Dr. Teeth saying some of the most hilarious shit, mellow and profitable. They about them royalties. They about them royalties. And I love that like after the, after the song, can you picture that? Which is, which is one of my um, favorite, favorite songs that is brought about by yet another super self-aware meta moment where Fozzie is trying to explain to the band how they came to be there that day. And Kermit's like, well, you, you can't just explain that to the audience, Fozzie. You're going to bore the audience to death. Just give them the script to read. And though, and so... There we go, Dr. Teeth and Janice and Floyd Pepper and Zoots and Animal sit in front of the script and start reading the story of where we've been up until this point, putting Fozzie and Kermit to sleep like a bedtime story where they're like, we must probosculate on how we can possibly help our friends here. And it leads into, can you picture that? And this fucking is the jam of a song like I am sitting here fucking bouncing and swaying and dancing along because the bass line and the sax line in this song fucking kick and it starts off kind of childlike in the lyrics right and then takes a sharp turn and mad bars get dropped and some of these lyrics are so fucking tight doc dr teeth is life from his first oh yeah it's just so much energy all this paint being tossed around yeah um, yeah because because of course the conceit here is that they're going to paint the studebaker um, yes they're going to disguise uh, the car like that's, disguise that's, that's the that's car plan that's that's, that's yeah. how they're going to help no you're you're i'm with it with the song the song is super groovy we've got um, we've got just lyrics to throw like, down yeah just really beautiful positive uplifting lyrics about how we are all capable of being who we are in our souls and meet, meeting our maximum potential as human yeah. beings. Can you picture that? And my very most favoritist line in the song is fact is there's nothing out there you can't do. Yeah. Even Santa Claus believes in you. <laughs> I want that fucking, I want that tattooed. I want that do sky it, written, it. man. Well, I'll tell you, if, if I was to choose a lyric, it would be, uh, now the Eiffel Tower is holding up a flower. I gave it to a Texas, Texas cat. cat. Yeah. What? I mean, I, I think mean, there's some pretty amazing stuff, but they also have the line, uh, you know, it's, can you picture that? And, and one of the riffs in it is, um, begin, believe, beget, you know what I mean? Like it really is about letting your imagination break down your you walls, break down your walls, to, begin believe, to the reality beget. of your dreams. Yeah. So it's really, it's really just like much more depth than, um, I mean, kids songs are, are full of a lot of depth. I mean, not, um, God, for anybody who has kids, uh, if you're cursed with cocoa melon, you know, I feel you like, let's feel this moment together. It's painful. However, like if you can, if you can do the switcheroo and get this soundtrack happening instead of Coco Melon, you'll be a lot happier. I have really great lines on their way out the door as they are presented with their new psychedelic Studebaker. Fozzie's like, oh, th I, I don't know how to thank you. And Kermit says, I don't know why I should thank you. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so cut. It's so dry. It's so awesome. Yeah. And then we get one more really great 
musician money grubber line out of Dr. Teeth was like, yeah, we'll visit you in Hollywood and maybe exploit your wealth. Yeah, well, because he asks him, do you yes. want to come with us? Yeah. And he's like, no, no, we'll no, we'll just wait. wait. We'll wait till we can come out there and exploit your wealth. It's so good. And then, it yes, we pick then- up our next buddy in the buddy flick. We pick up our next Muppet, and that is Gonzo. I've always been a big fan of Gonzo. Always. Okay, I have. I've always had a big heart for so- him much to say about Gonzo and why Gonzo is super fucking important. So Gonzo the Great, plumbing artiste, tooling down the road with Camilla, his chicken. Gonzo is really, really, really important as a Muppet, as a character. So we don't know what the fuck Gonzo is, right? And after they pick Gonzo up, after this like hilarious collision where with super surreal, they think they're gonna have a head-on collision and the, 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 their truck flips over, lands upside down on top of the car because of course there can't be actual violence in a Muppet movie, right? We can't have actual pain, no suffering. Gonzo and Camilla hitch a ride with, uh, with Kermit and Fozzie and they're talking about, you know, what, what are you doing? I've got a big dream too, but you'd think it was, you'd think it was stupid. No, never. What's your dream? I want to go to Bombay, India to become a big movie star. You don't go to Bombay to become a movie star. You go to Hollywood like us. Yeah. If you want to do it the easy way. Ruined. To which, Ruined. to which Fozzie responds, We've picked up a weirdo. And that is what that is what Gonzo is known as. We don't know what Gonzo is. And he's forever more referred to as a weirdo. And Gonzo is the ultimate representation of other. What it is to be other. And that's why that's why Gonzo is such an important character, because while Jim Henson never felt alienated for being the great Jim Henson that he was, I think, because that's, you know, that's the struggle for a lot of artists, right? They have all of this love and appreciation and this beauty inside them. And like comedians, they can feel so alienated from the rest of the cynical world. And how how do I deliver this message of beauty? And how do I combat cynicism? How do I combat this darkness, right? Jim never felt outside of that but I think he was capable of recognizing that even though he didn't most people did and it was important to give them representation of what that feels like and there's this really beautiful book about Gonzo called what is a Gonzo he goes through and finds other weirdos other other Gonzo looking um, characters because he's trying to understand what he is and he goes to, to, to character after character after character and it ends with the great Garbanzo, who is effectively like the, a godlike wizard scientist in this book. <laughs> and, and he puts, he puts um, Gonzo through the, the Gonzo meter um, to try to figure out what it is. And the Gonzo meter can do all kinds of different things. So, so the invention, right? The, in, the, uh, the creativity of a Gonzo is, is kind of just embedded into this, this, this weirdo creature that he is. And when it comes out, it comes out with no result. And you would think that that's depressing. But what the great Garbanzo says to Gonzo is, well, you might not know what you are, but you know who you are. 
I know, dude, I know. I'm like instantly like welling up with tears because this is, this is like I'm saying this, this is the important shit that people need to be hearing. Yeah. That's what fucking matters. It doesn't matter what you own, what you got, where you, where, where you, where you think you're going. It matters who the fuck you are. And Jim Henson was not missing a trick in making sure that people got that message in whatever way they could. Their next stop as they're driving along, they find their way after after a really fun used car salesman interaction. They find their way to this like county fair, which is where we're going to meet our next Muppet of note, right? At the county fair, Gonzo meets Richard fucking Pryor selling a whole <laughs> bunch of balloons. And you know what's crazy about this part? You're gonna can I just throw it out? Yeah, it's like Richard Pryor. Now we all we all have. Um, I'm sure that we all share our deep love for Richard Pryor. He was funny, fucking groundbreaking comedian. But he was a dirty, dirty, dirty. Comedian. I know he's he a dirty was, motherfucker. To he a was the, 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 I mean, he was in the thick of dirt. He was a um, coked I, out crazy. And there he is. Exactly. Up in the, I love it. I love it. I love it. But what's crazy is, is that he's talking to Gonzo about balloons, right? And he basically, uh, now, now Gonzo's girlfriend is Camilla. They're in love. Like, is what's the relationship? We don't, we don't need I don't labels. Know. We, don't need, deep, labels, we don't need labels, right? We don't need labels. And, and regardless, he's going to buy her a balloon. And then, and basically Richard Pryor, the balloon salesman, convinces him not to buy one balloon for her, but buy, two, buy all of them, right? And for some reason, the way Richard Pryor delivers it, it feels dirty, even though there is nothing <laughs> that he's saying. Well, it's he is. He's kind, well, he, mean, he's kind of he, scamming Gonzo. He's kind of like, like the used car salesman. Oh, and this is, okay, wait. Is he scamming? Gotta, no, no. I mean, all he's saying is- Hustling. He's trying to hustle them balloons, baby. He's trying to move rubber. Okay. But I guess it, to me, it sounds like he's like saying like, hey, if you really want to get down with your lady tonight, don't get one balloon. Get like a lot of balloons. For again, like again, nuance for a college kid. It. Yes. There's something in it. If you if, if you look at it on paper, it is the most innocent exchange in the world. When all of a sudden Richard Pryor is delivering it, there is just something about it. There's like a tongue in cheek, like wink, wink moment where anybody who knows Richard Pryor, just you, you're like, what is this like I, dirty? Yeah. What is this dirty moment in this movie? What's I think this I, all yeah, about? Like I think I just <laughs> tripped on a double entendre here. I'm not quite sure. Now yeah, I want to go back. Exactly. Actually, I'm going to backtrack real quick to the used car salesman, because like you said, it's kind of hard not to go scene by scene because every yes. fucking scene is brilliant for a different reason. Tight, so tight, tight. they stop and they trade in the Studebaker, right? And they meet Milton fucking Burl um, as the used car salesman who tries to push onto them a German street machine with detachable fenders for narrow garages. And they're not going to be taken by this. Right. And now when this happens, the fender falls off the Volkswagen. He calls for Jack, who is this Muppet ogre, whose name is actually Sweetums. I love Sweetums. So Sweetums comes out Jack not named Jack Job. And he picks up the Volkswagen and pushes it out of the way. And but before he does, Milton Burl is really, really shitty to Sweetums. He's really nasty, like grabs him by his Sweetums beard and is like, how many times have I told you not to speak to the 
customers and then just pushes him off to go do his job. And it's awful. And I think, and, and the Muppets kind of recognize him as, as a mean guy. Next to Doc Hopper, who's just dark and twisted, it's actually mean. It's the first really mean thing that happens in the movie. And you're like, well, something's got to happen to this guy. He's a meanie, right? Jack comes back leaning against the new car and a fly is buzzing around. And while he's trying to scam the Muppets out of $2,000, less a $12 trade-in on their vehicle, he swats this fly, smacks it against the the sales tag on this car, which then makes a decimal point between an 11 and a 90 and a 75, right? Or whatever the number is, because I'm bad at math and I've had half a cup of coffee. And then Gonzo notices this and Kermit notices like, oh, we'll take that one for 11, 11.95 less our $12 trade-in, which means you owe us a nickel. <laughs> so like instant karma lives in the world of Jim Henson. We don't need to get angry and we don't need to react. The universe yeah, will yeah, provide. Yeah. And I just nice. really, I really love that. Really so back nice. at the county fair is a beauty pageant being, <laughs> being hosted by Elliot Gould, um, who is, <laughs> you know, in doing a weird patty cake thing with a balloon with one of the models. That's, that's how it starts. This is very, it's a very strange thing. That's a very strange moment. And what is a really nice moment though, is that he introduces the judges of the contest, Bergen and McCarthy. Bergen is the most to date renowned ventriloquist and puppeteer and is actually the dream of all dreams of Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Dave Gells, Jerry Nelson. They couldn't be happier. They, he's, he's their Elvis. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. their God. And to have him there to do that cameo appearance meant the world to them. Apparently the entire set stood still just for the moment of watching them meet him. That's and sweet. he was apparently in really poor health. And this was his last public appearance. Oh, it's kind of like passing of the torch. So much so that when he, he was, that's how he felt about having been on the set of this. And when he died, he, he wrote a note to Jim Henson that said like, basically, thanks for that. Keep the magic alive. So he literally, oh I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I've, I've cried four times already on this podcast recording, but that's okay because this, this space of sentimentality is where I would rather live all the time. Absolutely. So. At this fair, we meet, I probably like the Muppet I am most identified with, of course, because it was, the female Muppet, which is Miss Piggy. You know what's funny? I didn't. I never really dug Miss Piggy. I wasn't, and they never actually anticipated that Miss Piggy would become the sensation that she isn't actually like dust Kermit for popularity because that's that's what happened. She be, no, really? no, she, she became more popular than Kermit. There was well, more I mean, Piggy merchandise, more Piggy. They were talking to Piggy more in interviews. Piggy became the shit. They weren't prepared. Well, they weren't ready. I'll for give Piggy. you this. I'll give you this. I am a Leo. And on paper, if you read about a Leo, confident, obnoxious, uh, talks too much, thinks the world of themselves, like that's me to a T. It's me exactly when you read a Leo. And Miss Piggy, if nothing else, is a Leo. She is vain. She is passionate. She is, you know, romantic. She's obnoxious. She's crazy. Like, I, yeah, definitely. And the fact that, of course, it's just, this one's a bit on the nose, you know, the most beautiful Muppet there is, is a pig. 
You know what I mean? Yes. Like it just, I mean, which is of course the message and and that's why it resonated so much. I mean, yeah. I think that and they, I, you know, her popularity is born of that idea. Uh, um, you can talk, you, you get to talk about the, the song, um, but, but before you even get into the song, I have to say, her 70s fashion oh amazingness. God. Oh my God. Through this, like, like she is a fashionista. Like yeah. every, she pulls looks She's throughout crushing, this whole movie. crushing she the game. Crushing the game. Like from her, I mean, she just looks like Meryl Streep. All of her clothes look like all the films Meryl Streep does in the late 70s, early 80s. Like check it out. And Jane Seymour, like it's, her clothes are like living it. And it's fresh as fuck. You know, she is the most popular one. I, I would have still thrown it to Kermit. So I'm surprised by that. Yeah. But I, I think it's, I think, um, I think she does it. I think she deserves it. I think she brings it to the town. She is Beyonce. Um, She's actually Mariah Carey. When they hit that date. She is Mariah Carey. When they hit that date, she is, I was like, oh, and this is where Mariah Carey decided what her look was going to be. Like exactly, exactly <laughs> the hair, the posing, all of it, the diva, oh, the diva. Talk about her song. Talk about her okay. song. Okay. <laughs> well, first, before the song even starts, I just love that the gaze between Kermit and Piggy is so strong that the entire audience has to turn around and be like, what is this energy? pulling through the crowd and then never before have two hearts joined so freely and so fast <laughs> for me it is the first time and the last is this a gift to men on earth that that line is this a gift to men on earth makes me fucking scream every time I hear it. And the way it's shot in this slow-mo romance montage, this is just the best fucking movie ever made. It really is. It really <laughs> so, fucking so, is. So um, Sasha told the me The Casablanca earlier. reference. Yes, Come yes, on. yes, yes, yes. Sasha told me earlier hey, that if she, pulls him if to she is Ugh. ever to get married, that this song would be used. Future Tinder Dates of America, where it's going to have to ultimately lead is a wedding that looks like Big Trouble in Little China, but this is the wedding song. If you can't hang, swipe. Whichever direction you're supposed to swipe, because I'm not actually on Tinder, because that just escapes me the fuck out. Anyway, anyway, Never Before is just, it's so amazing. So now Miss Piggy basically invites herself along yes. on their, their journey to Hollywood. As she is joining up with them, as Fozzie and Kermit are having a honeycomb and a dragonfly ripple provided to them by Bob Hope, and she's collecting her things. They realize that Gonzo, who was trying to purchase all of these balloons for Camilla, is now floating away. His tiny little weirdo body is floating away, so they hop into the car so that they can try to catch him, at which point Doc Hopper and Max spy them. They catch up, and then it gets real twisted with fucking Doc Hopper's got a sawed off, and he's leaning out of the fucking car. He's going to try to take out their wheels. <laughs> the fuck, Doc Hopper? Jeez oh my Louise, man. So they are swerving all over because again, you don't have to react. The universe will provide. They're swerving all over trying to catch their friend, slam into a billboard that of course has a life-size whipped cream pie hanging Amy's out in the pies, sun. by the way, Amy's pie. Amy's pie, yes. yes and yes. of course, you know my thing about food. I can't help but thinking 
when they slam into the billboard and of course the billboard has a triggered wrist that it launches the pie into the highway and it hits the car and basically hits mac and max and doc hopper in the face and then max reaches around the window and licks the whipped cream all i can think is motherfucker that's been sitting in the sun <laughs> Sasha, it never fails, it it never fails. and then miss piggy and kermit have a date yes oh my god oh. MG, y'all. Oh my God. The scene is so fucking amazing. And I feel like every time we introduce any of the cameos, their middle name has to be fucking. So in this one, Steve fucking, <laughs> fucking Martin. Martin. Steve fucking up. Martin and his fucking tiny little legs show up. In oh my God. So, so tiny so, little fucking shorts. Bitches and hoes. I have to take this. Bitches <laughs> and hoes. They go to a restaurant, Miss Piggy and, and Kermit are on a date. Kermit's got a fucking ascot on and a velvet coat. Give me more. And the restaurant is German themed. And Steve fucking Martin shows up in later Hosen. And I did have a moment here where I was like, oh, like, like he's hilarious and we'll get into it. But he is hilarious because he's mean. Yeah. He's got this thing that he does, which which of course in planes, trains, and automobiles really pissed me off. But here it is so well done that I, I mean, it. this scene had me rolling. He is fucking amazing in it, in his later hosen. You may serve um, us now. May I? <laughs> may I? <laughs> Sparkling Muscatel, one of the finest wines of Idaho. And then the bottle has got a little, a little map of Idaho. <laughs> on the does label it? yeah it does details details does. my then... favorite moment is when um so he pours the champagne uh-huh. they, they go through the whole sparkling thing muscatel. sorry sparkling muscatel <laughs> and and kermit says to him can we have straws and he says oh yes i expected Expected that, that. <laughs> blink, blink. yes however another scene is coming up so quickly that might even eclipse this oh god stay tuned um so what happens is, is that Miss Piggy, uh, you know, they're having a date and it's lovely and, and she is coming on strong just as Miss Piggy would. And she gets a call from her agent. So she disappears. And Kermit thinks that Miss Piggy has abandoned him on his date. So he rolls into the bar and he meets um, our next Muppet, which is Ralph the dog. And they sing about the woman's blues. Oh, my God. You can't (laughs) live with them. You can't live without them. There's something irresistible-ish about them. Irresistible-ish. Oh, my God. That's a tattoo. Yeah. That's the name of an album by the Puntangers. It's rare you see a guy so green have the blues. (laughs) It's just so good. It's so, it's, you know, the harmony on it. I hope that something better comes along. It's just to me. It's so like, uh, Just to add, though, it's like the complexity of this movie is such that it it goes into these kind of like very mature kind of interesting zones. You know, like he gets abandoned on a date and he's sad. So he has to go sing the blues about women treat me wrong. Like, it's amazing that they kind of played these levels um and it works so well but it turns out piggy didn't piggy didn't stand up kermit 
she was kidnapped by Doc Hopper, who tells Kermit to step outside and meet his guys or she'll be ham hocks for morning. And then we get another real crazy dark scene where Piggy and Kermit are tied up while Mel fucking Brooks and Doc Hopper, who's he's Dr. Krasen, Dr. Krasen. And now this is a strange character because Mel Brooks as a Jew is spoofing a German scientist very close to still post-World War II hyper hyper awareness sensitivity right and he says things like the electric yamulka and it's just like whoa this is um this is this is quite dark this is really very very dark and dark dark. but so dark and dangerous that Uh it's amazing like it yeah it it is what exactly that thing where a, a comedian who is as deft as mel brooks mel fucking brooks which again why i said like steve martin did so amazing in that scene it was mind blowing but this, this is next level shit because to have the access to deal with something like World War II, to be a Jew, to be have all that, and then to bring this to the table, to spoof them and to like manage those feelings, Mel fucking Brooks. You think we're sleeping I mean, in Dusseldorf? It's ludicrous. It is so fucking <laughs> hilarious. And, and because there's, there's part of it where it's like, is he, a, is he playing, is he completely just spoofing it? Or is he playing like a Jew hiding out as a German scientist to get through? And of course they're not, instead of, you know. His, Who knows, his big- but he's going to perform the electronic cerebrectomy where he will turn the frog's brains to guacamole. And what, the- what, what about it? When he brings the the machine out, he's like, he's like, look, we've got new knobs and buttons. Every night, you see, exactly. You think we're sleeping in Dusseldorf? You think we're napping in Cologne every day? Another dial, another diode, another knob. It's too much. It's too much. much. What is the best about this scene, though, is how it resolves itself. So they get a hold of Kermit, and there's a great line. Oh, Kermit. No matter what happens next, I wouldn't trade this evening together for anything, would you? Uh, make me an offer. And they take Kermit and they put him in the machine, right? And they're about to do it. They're going to they're gonna guacamoleize his fucking brain. And finally, Piggy, because Piggy does not like to be referred to as a pig, nor does she like any kind of pork food references, right? So she is pissed. Way, yeah. She is pissed that they have her boyfriend up in the electronic cerebrectomy machine. And then Dr. Crasson says to her, by morning, he won't know you from Kasha Bacon. And she says, fuck a bunch of this. Piggy has had it. And she busts out of the ropes. And this is where it becomes amazing. Her fucking eyes. They give her new eyes that are fucking crazy. They're like 80% larger than her regular eyes. She looks crazy as fuck. And then apparently this is the blueprint for Kill Bill because she (laughs) is now a karate master. And she just like comes out and fucks them all up. All you see is her like um, felt piggy leg going up in the sky, (laughs) hitting things. 
and and she beats all of them up there's see because it's not just when, mel, mel fucking brooks it, it's like there's six like of five them. guys or she takes yeah, out yeah. an entire gang and like when she goes up on like a balcony or like a railing or something and her giant fucking piggy eyes she and she jumps down on them yeah and just and just to I'm mention dying, you know peeing. It's she's so doing funny. the whole thing in a skirt and heels yeah, and heels you know, motherfuckers exactly you know, i i hate to go backwards at all but we did forget to mention the moment that mel brooks is so excited about his machine that he licks it um right. his tongue just goes out and i mean my note in this oh well, what's the other line if i can inflict a little pain in the afternoon mm-hmm. i sleep, sleep better at better. night sleep a little better. um yeah. my note here was is mel brooks the funniest man that ever was i really questioned this like when i watched it i was like mel brooks big fan bigger even now because it was amazing um so yeah so mo- moving right along because we 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 have to because we're actually kind of recording with a time a, a little bit of a time constraint today. <laughs> well, Miss Picky breaks his heart before we end. Though. Oh, that's right. He, he Sorry, quickly, she breaks like, his heart again. That's true. The, uh, yeah, the well, she calls. actually does it. <laughs> yeah, she actually does it. He, he, he's she's rescued Kermit. The phone rings. He picks it up. It's her agent. She gets offered a commercial. Yeah, Morty, what you got? How much? Take it. Hangs up the phone, turns around, has this moment of very beautiful, awkward, pregnant silence, and then just goes, mm, goodbye. And just this fucking <laughs> bolts. I love her. I love just her. Bolts. She's so like, mean. I got, she is- I got a career. I got to take care of shit. And she leaves and breaks his fucking heart. And he's yes. so, so sad. And, and, then, and then the camera, I mean, the film breaks and we have a super meta moment again where we we go back because it's getting real now right it's getting real we're talking broken hearts we need it we need it we need a breather we need a breather yes we need a little interlude we little interlude eric eric fix it eric fix it so eric (laughs) fixes the film and then we go back to it and then we've got a couple a couple scenes that are kind of like these are the only two that for me are like eh. they sing the 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 fruited plane whatever like i'm not i'm not that excited about the moment of patriotism i don't care you know the next moment that i remember that that's key is dr hopper hiring carl lagerfeld aka the snake walker Uh (laughs) uh-huh Who's got a a, a, a a fort cannon? Please describe what this man looks like, Sasha. He me. he looks like something off of a Gucci runway combined with um the priest character from Poltergeist. He's got like like a bolero hat on. Does it have tassels? It may. I don't remember. No, I don't think it He's does. He's got glasses on. He's got a scarf around his neck. And a, and like a, and a fork speckled. cannon. And his and what do you do? I kill frogs. It's hilarious, even though it, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. To be yeah, fair. that's what it's I'm saying. That's what I'm like. We can moment. kind of like not. Yeah. We can, we, so it's important that we know that he exists because the whole point is that Doc Hopper has lost patience with Max and his rabble gang that let Kermit get away. So he's calling in the big gun or the big fork, as it was, and he is coming <laughs> yeah, yeah. for Kermit with this dude, yeah. right? Pushing it along the road. They've, it's now Kermit, Fozzie, Gonzo, Camilla and Rolf all piled in the car, headed to Hollywood on their way. They see Piggy on the side of the road. They pick her up. And I really appreciate that Kermit is not like, yay, Piggy. He's like, I don't, I don't give a hoot. I don't give a hoot where you've been, Piggy. <laughs> but then, but then when me. she's like one kissy kissy, he just melts. And the way he's like, 
oh piggy it's like oh my god yeah he forgives her he doesn't forgive her immediately but he forgives her pretty quickly after immediately and when he does you just get all the feels all which the feels is and good all the mother feels are now we're, we're circling back to gonzo my lovely other and all of the feels so the the car breaks down on the side of the road and they're like, oh, shit. Well, someone's bound to come along until then. We're going to build a fire and we're going to hang out. And they're they're sad because they're they're starting to realize that there's a good chance that they might not make it. They might not make it to Hollywood in time for the audition. And Gonzo is sitting there and he's looking at the sky and feeling this sense of longing and wishing that he had those balloons because when he had them, he was like, God, isn't it great up here? And then starts possibly one of the most beautiful Muppet songs ever. Yeah, before and... you even get into it, I for like I did not remember this song at all. So when it happened on this listen, stopped in my tracks. It is such a beautiful song of longing to belong and that searching for union within yourself, within the universe, as he searches into the sky, trying to understand where he comes from and how he can find that sense of belonging. And this is what everyone is searching for, is that sense of connection and that sense of belonging um, to the universe, to themselves, to another. And the lyrics to this song are so beautiful. And I, I could, dear listeners, do the entire song for you, but I won't. <laughs> I but, but, won't. but there's like an impossibility I'm, not to mention some of the lines in yes. this. And I'm um, going to go, I'm going to go to the one that just rips my heart, my beating heart from my chest. And that is come and go with me. It's more fun to share. We'll both be completely at home in midair. We're flying, not walking on featherless wings. We can hold on to love like invisible string. There's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. Part heaven, part space, or have I found my place? You can just visit but I plan to stay. I'm going to go back there someday. It's you. amazing. Like you don't even expect it. It's so, the oh tears. my God. It's just it, the tears. Oh. It, I mean, it's it's the, the overwhelming of beauty of this moment. Cause you know, they're in the desert and they're singing and, and they've got, I mean, the, the thing is, is they've hit a point where they might not make it to Hollywood. They might not get their dream. It's the way the story is always told. They've got to have a moment where it, it might not happen. But when you layer this song on top of it, it's one of and, those things. And you, and you and you layer it with the understanding of what Gonzo is as this as the representation of of truly being other and what this whole film is of them finding each other to find their way to find their dreams. It's just, it's just cripplingly touching. The Rainbow Connection is such a great song. 
And then this song happens and you're just kind of like, why Willie Nelson sing this fucking song? Because this song is beautiful. I I definitely do plan on learning it so I can sing it to my baby. Hook this song up. And and again, I think it also really speaks to Jim Henson's deep faith. I'm going to go back there someday to the point of origin. To the really to the point of origin, the inception of love and beauty, and that that which is the universe is what he's seeing out in those stars. I can't. My my fucking heart can't, can't take it. It's I too can't early. Either. It's too it fucking too early. Much. So like so then comes possibly <laughs> the most amazing meta moment of the movie when Kermit is like just wrestling with the fact that he feels that he's disappointed all of these people. I never promised anything, guys. I never promised we'd make it. I never promised anything. And then he takes off to be with himself in the desert. And and you can hear his own voice resonating in his head. It's playing out of him talking to himself. And as he's talking to himself and walking through the desert, suddenly himself shows up on a rock. And he's talking to himself, talking to himself. And it's so amazing the the conversation that he has with himself where he realizes that w- what he did promise was he promised his dream to himself fucking so deep and and so the thing that every human being needs to stay in touch with in order to make it through this fucked up human existence refueled with this sense of purpose they pile into the van which is now being driven by the electric mayhem who were left in possession of the script and have been reading along the entire time. Meta saviors, they show up to rescue them and drive them the rest of the way to Hollywood. They are stopped on the way by Max posing as a motorcycle cop who has had enough with Doc Hopper and wants to give them a heads up that... In fact, he has engaged Carl Lagerfeld with his fucking Fort Cannon and he's going to fuck, fuck Froggy up. And you would think, right, they're like, well, we got to get out of here. We got to get away. But no, Kermit, Kermit will not be bullied and he will not run. He will not spend his life running from a bully. So he tells Max to tell that motherfucker Doc Hopper to meet him in a ghost town and we will have a showdown. And they roll up into this ghost town and the ghost town is, is kind of cool. They meet Bunsen and Honeydew and their laboratory where they build these Instagrow pills and Kermit gets dudded out in some, you know, some Western gear and he is ready for this showdown and Doc Hopper shows up and in true Jim Henson fashion, in true Kermit fashion, when he squares off with Doc Hopper, he tries to rationalize with him because again, Jim Henson and Kermit believe that there's redemption for everyone. Right. So he's like, you got to be crazy following me around the country like this. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Don't you don't you have any friends? What is don't you have a dream? And he's like, I have a dream to own, you know, a million froggy frog leg franchises. And you, Froggy, you're meant to be the thing that makes it happen for me. At which point Kerman comes in with, yeah, well, I've got a dream, too. But it's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. And well, I found a whole bunch of friends who have the same dream and it kind of makes us a family. Don't you have friends, Doc? Don't you have friends? Who are you going to share this with? And this is awesome. He's like, yeah, I I got Max. And Max is like, nah, fuck you, bro. You suck. (laughs) And, you know, you think that there's going to be this moment of redemption. And then it turns out that Animal has slinked away and eaten one of the Instagrow pills. 
and comes out animal ex machina now. He bursts through the, 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 the fucking roof of the laboratory animal, and like terrifies all the bad guys away. And what is awesome about this part is that is not a, a soundstage. That is not a miniature set that they did with an animal head and then superimposed the actors. That is actually a fucking ginormous bus-sized animal head that Frank Oz had to operate because Jim Henson would do things simply, but also really crazy complicated at the same time. I was going to ask you this because it, it yeah. looks, it doesn't it look like um, it's not. Well, I mean, clearly it's not CGI, but it doesn't look like a model. Yeah. I was going to ask you whether or not they built a huge fucking head and just wondering where the hell in the world that is and if we can purchase it. Animal X Machina, he saves the day and they get away and they make it to Hollywood. They make it all the way up into, uh, uh, I can't remember what the the um, the producer's name is, but it's a nod to Lou Grade, who is the producer, the British producer who backed Jim Henson from the get. And when they get into the office, the receptionist is motherfucking Cloris Leachman. Can I say <laughs> motherfucking Cloris Leachman given hair, her hairstyle, given hair, given Ooh. body, given it all, given she it good all. Today. She, she looked good today. She looked good Giving it all. She looks amazing. And she is allergic. She like, they basically like almost give her an asthma attack. Yeah, they almost murder her. <laughs> They almost, get- the Muppets almost murder Cloris Leachman so that they can get into the office. And she finally just breaks down and buzzes them in because she's going to die of anaphylaxis. So she buzzes them in. They get into the office. Orson Welles. No, is the- it's Orson fucking Welles. It's or- excuse me. Orson <laughs> fucking Welles is the producer. He turns around and they're like, yeah, we're here to be rich and famous. And I just love how it's just like they tidy up, cut it out. And he's like, Prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit and his friends. It's and- <laughs> literally the only line he has. Like they they do all the buildup, which would would it which is actually brilliant. The buildup to because yeah, because it's not about him. where you're going, it's about how you got there. And then we just go straight to what is now the most triple meta effect of this. It's a movie of the movie being made, right? They're, they've created the sets. They've now created the sets of the Muppet movie that we've just watched. And we're about to watch them recreate the movie. And Kermit is sitting there singing about how, you know, it starts when you're kids making fun in the class. And it's about the inception of your dream and how you find the, the, the purity of, of your soul and like what speaks to you and how you act out on that as a kid. And then you just keep building it. And then someone says, yeah, you're great. And somebody out there loves you, jumps up and hollers for more. And you found your place at the magic store. Everyone knows me and Sasha met in in theater high school, arts high school. And of course, it was like our dream when we were young to be performers and and to be part of this world. And I mean, we still do things that are full of expression and lots of fun. Even this podcast is an expression of this. And I kind of, when I watched this, I was like, oh my God, was I indoctrinated like as a two-year-old baby with this moment? Like when I watched it, it just was a very like telling moment for me. I was just like, oh my days. And it's, and it's, and it's such a fantastical moment because this is actually the greatest assemblage of Muppets in one place at any given time. They had to tap in everyone they could as puppeteers, including John Landis and Tim Burton. 
a massive field of Muppet faces, loving, living, supporting, enjoying just pure fucking joy. And in true Jim Henson fashion, explosions take place when Gonzo goes up with the balloons and he knocks down the set and mayhem takes place and the lights explode and it shoots through the ceiling and a rainbow comes through and quietly lands on their faces. And Kermit looks to the camera and he says, life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep pretending, we've done just what we set out to do. Thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. <laughs> so, so here's my thing, because, you know, we're, 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 we're coming to the end here. What's encapsulated in those two, three lines is the thing that we talked about in the very beginning, which is that the core of this movie, the core of what Jim Henson was given out here, and I am not a Jim Henson um, aficionado like Sasha is, but what I got from it is that this whole movie was just actually a big love letter thank you to us, to me, to you, to anybody watching, to, you know, um, the lovers, the dreamers, and, and you, you know, us, to say thank you so much for giving me the space to achieve my dream. I've done exactly what I meant to do, which was gather all my friends up and express this joy of living and, and, and share and share the message that you can be you yeah it, that is enough it's, it's enough to be you and to follow your dream is what life is about it fucking ruined me it's ruined me and made me and i yeah. and i and i think as we close in on our last five minutes here there's really there's almost nothing left to say. Cause I mean, there's everything to say and nothing left to say. We're not going, there's no point in debating what Liam Neeson film could possibly compete no. with the Muppet movie. I, no. I would probably have an air marshal called on me for annoying the rest of the passengers for watching the Muppet movie as many times as possible on a transatlantic flight and singing along at the top of my lungs and trying to get my seatmates to join in because I exactly, assume that exactly. everybody knows these lyrics and wants to party too, right? Imagine how good a transatlantic flight would be if they just played the Muppet movie on every screen and everyone sang along. I mean, that's I mean, what if we're I was queen of the world, everyone. that's what would be happening. That's all that should be happening. No, but it's a collective honesty, experience people, of joy. It is one of those movies where um, I was quite surprised. You know, uh, Sasha said, you know, when, when we were kind of deciding what we would do for her birthday, she was like, the Muppet movies, that's what I want. And I was like, hell yeah, girl, let's do it. And she's like, oh, well, maybe it's not exactly the thing that our listeners would want. And what we've obviously proven in the past two hours of recording <laughs> is that it might be the movie that you people need. Do it for yourself, for Sasha's birthday. Do it, do it for the for, world. For your birthday, whenever your birthday is. This was a real joy. This was a real, like, you know, it was Sasha's birthday, but I'm the one who got the present. Oh, shoot. Oh, is my, oh, is my birthday. Cause technically this is going to drop on my birthday. So y'all it's my birthday. Please, please watch the Muppet movie. Please enjoy the beauty and the wonder and the brilliance.
So thank you all so very much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. If you liked what you heard, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. We don't have a website yet, but you can follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. And please send us a DM with any comments, questions, or happy birthday slashes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time. All right, lovers and dreamers, keep believing, keep pretending, keep listening to Eating After Midnight. And please, in the final words of Jim, please watch out for each other and love and forgive everybody. It's a good life. Enjoy it. And happy birthday to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs>